Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. 2022 was a record year for wildfire in New Mexico with an early start to the season and the biggest wildfire in the state's recorded history. That's the government sparked Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire that we've talked about extensively on this podcast. But this year we're in June and I'm sure you all have noticed depending on where you live in the state, it seems like we've had a lot more rain and moisture this year. The river is flowing at levels we haven't seen in a while. And in other parts of the state, we saw flooding from fast melting snowpack on the mountains. I'm thinking of the Jemez where we saw road closures and rock slides due to that flooding and melted snow. So what does this year's climate and weather outlook mean for our state's forest lands and the people who live in those communities where wildfire and flood risk comes with the territory? Joining us remotely today with the U.S. Forest Service is Rich Naden. He is the Predictive Services Meteorologist, along with Micah Kiso, a Soil and Watershed Program Manager for the Santa Fe National Forest and also the Burned Area Emergency Response Coordinator also known as the bear team. Thanks for joining us, both of you. Hi, Chris. Hi, Gabby. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Gabby. Glad to be a part of it. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, we appreciate you guys being here and wanted to have this conversation because obviously we had such a very monumental year we're coming off of. uh, That was 2022. We know, though, that this year hasn't been quite like last year when it comes to wildfire. But what does that mean for Forest Service crews and the landscape here? Are there certain areas in New Mexico that are at a higher risk for flooding, maybe due to the burn scars or just the wet weather that we've had recently? I'll jump on real quick. This is Rich. In regards to the flooding aspect, the burn scars, especially the McBride and the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon would be most susceptible in regards to flooding, certainly this spring and in the early summer and perhaps through the monsoon season this year. Other areas have received a copious amount of rainfall the last couple months combined with the above normal snowfall that we saw this past winter would also be uh, possible concern areas in regards to flooding. Uh, that being said, I think we're already pushing past that point right now. We're in this kind of a strange situation right now where everything is like 180 degrees different than it was a year ago. So a year ago we had poor snowpack, windy dry spring, um, and then we had a above normal monsoon, which began early. This year, flip it 180 degrees the other way, great snowpack, wet spring, cool spring, very likely a poor monsoon. So everything from last year out the window, this year is completely different. I always been telling people through the years that, yes, we have averages, but things can quite, you know, quite often be quite different here in the Southwest. And this year is a prime example of that. Mike, any thoughts that you had to add? I, I guess maybe holistically, how are you looking at this year? You know, I guess just to follow up on what Rich said, yeah, the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire area, you know, that will be a source of potential flooding, erosion, and sedimentation for years to come. Um, I think anytime we're talking burn scars and this soon after a burn scar, people should be heads up that are either downstream or near the forest service area recreating or visiting. And when we mean years to come as well, it's not just one, two, three years. This could be as long as a decade or more in certain areas. I mean, I guess I say that saying each individual place is unique to itself and it's a lot of it is wait and see, but we have seen places in New Mexico as well after fires 
it's a, it can be a very long standing process. Yeah, it can be a very long standing process. You know, we're always looking at recovery in the sense of vegetation and ground cover in my world, right? Ground cover being the leaves that fall from the tree, the pine needles that fall from those types of trees to kind of cover the soil surface and really start to reduce some of that potential for flooding. But you know, that can take years and really it all depends on what kind of summer rains we have and, and winter snow pack we have to kind of jumpstart that system and get it recovered. The first wildfire that I covered, I, I learned how important it was for rural communities, for instance, to try and protect their properties, not only from wildfire, but flooding as well. And it seems like the concern can quickly shift from fires to floods. Can you explain to us why that is and what kind of property owners should share those concerns? So, yeah, I can I can start with that. You know, I, I guess in the southwest region specifically, you know, our fire season generally ends with our monsoon season. So right after the fire, we have a lot of exposed uh, bare soil and hill slopes, the of vegetation. And then coming, we have the monsoonal rains, these kind of high intensity storm events, a lot of rains in a short amount of time. And really, it comes down to um, what once was there to intercept that rain and soak it up is mostly gone, right? Think of it as a forest sponge from the canopy cover of those trees to that duff layer I was talking about. That is gone in some of the high burn severity areas, and there's no longer anything to intercept that raindrop impact and allow that to continue with the flooding. Um, to follow up on your second question, I think for, for property owners downstream of the, the any of the burn areas, right? Um, I'm specifically maybe talking more about the Hermit's Peak Cap Canyon. Uh, they should be heads up. They should know their area's flood risk. Um, generally, it's those people that are more near creeks and streams um, or down in the floodplains that maybe they have infrastructure that's been built down there that they should be cautious. But really, anyone traveling on a road that might cross the stream should be concerned as well. Um, it, 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 just, it just depends. It, it be heads up when you're around these places. One of the ways that it was explained to me when I was first learning about how this worked was like a that the land becomes almost like a dry sponge, right? When the rain comes down, it doesn't quite soak in. Is that how you can think about maybe how the wet monsoon can impact a fresh burn scar, for instance, or, or how does it impact that land? Yeah, so in, in some areas, and, and, and especially immediately after the, the fire itself, um, some of our soils can become what we call hydrophobic or water repellent, um, where they burn, you know, hot enough that when rain hits, it, it really just runs right off. And so you can think about it almost like a, a, a healthy um, or, or a forest with a lot of tree canopy prior to the fire. Uh, Post-fire on some of these really steep gradients, I mean, we're talking 60, 70, 80% gradients, you can think of it like a parking lot that's tilted up on its edge when rain hits, it all runs down the hill. So that you're exactly right there. Wow. So we know during a busy wildfire season that forest service crews that aren't necessarily firefighters per se, they work alongside firefighters to get control of a situation and to help plan out what the response is. Sometimes we have crews come and help from other states as well. I'm wondering what sort of work that the Forest Service is focused on right now during these summer months when there is not an active fire to deal with right there. So still, it's still quite a bit to do out there. And I, and I guess what I can speak directly to is the, you know, the Santa Fe National Forest and really the Hermit's Peak Cap Canyon fire area. 
So there, there's a number of things that we're doing on uh, forest service land. One of those is we're continuing to work on things such as like fire line that was put in last year to help fight with the fire. Um, and those can be put in by dozers or crews of people by hand. And uh, now that the fire is out, those fire lines can become points of accelerated erosion or potential to increase that flooding risk. So what we do is we go out to those areas, we try to stabilize those areas by putting things in such as water bars. So you can think of kind of a amount of dirt on these fire lines that's really to direct the water flow off of them so it doesn't concentrate flow and add to that erosion and sedimentation. Also falling dead trees over the fire line and really provide that cover that I was talking about, that very important piece post-fire. You know, we're also working toward making the forest safe for our visitors and personnel as well. I think I've said this before, but we can't prevent or mitigate all hazards in the fire area. What we're doing now is we're working on stabilizing and repairing some of those roads. Along with that work, we partnered with the State of New Mexico Forestry Division to start cutting some of those hazard trees along the most well-used roads. Uh, we're also planning um, reforestation efforts, so putting trees back into the ground in some of the most severely burned areas. And, and those planting efforts are really focused on where it's going to be the most successful and really thinking out that it will be a number of years into the future that we'll be continuing those reforestation efforts. Last year, under the Burned Area Emergency Response effort, we seeded about 8,000 acres and then seeded and mulched an additional 1,300 acres. And those treatments were really focused on stabilizing the soils in the most severely burned areas. So along with that work, the Rocky Mountain Research Station and the United States Geological Survey are collaborating on a treatment effectiveness study. And we're continuing to use that information along with some of the um, tools at our disposal like satellite imagery to help look for opportunities for additional flood mitigation measures might be effective in the future. I, you know, I often have to say, you know, this doesn't quite go to that question, but talking along the lines of some of these mitigation efforts, an important factor to think about is what we call natural recovery, right? So natural recovery in the sense of where grasses, forbs, and shrubs have already started to regrow. That in and of itself will help to stabilize some of these burned hill slopes, but again, not all of them. Last year's summer rains really helped to facilitate that growth. Um, almost immediately in some areas. And last fall, we did have aspen that were almost waist high in some of those most severely burned areas. You know, grasses were coming back to life and that flush of nutrients that occurs after a, a fire almost acts like a fresh dose of fertilizer for what remains. So again, again, even with natural recovery, there are areas out there that aren't recovering and will take quite some time to recover. And, and reiterating that there's still quite a high risk of flooding out the fire area this year. We also mentioned off the top of our episode, there was flooding in Jemez, and part of it we understand is the fast melting snowpack that we see on the mountain slope sometimes. There were road closures in that case and campgrounds closed as a result of those floods. Can you guys explain some of the destruction that flooding can cause? And is there anything people can do to protect their properties from flooding if they do live in a higher risk area, for instance? I'll start with that one, Rich. Um, you know, some of the flooding that's been occurring too, I would say that our, our rivers have, are connected to what we call floodplains, right? So when that water fills the river up and reaches and goes onto its floodplain, flood that's a natural process. That's something we want to see. Um, the, the harm and the danger comes and we build within that floodplain. We have infrastructure, private property, those sorts of things. You know, I think for, for people um, that have private property um, within the floodplain or near the rivers and creeks, I would say, first of all, you know, think of your safety. 
right? If you live downstream of any of these burned areas or you're visiting or recreating near any of these, keep up to date on those National Weather Service alerts. And again, know your area spot risk. But I would, what I would say to those folks out there, um, there are some things you can do, but there's also a number of entities that are able to help um, people protect their private properties. And I would recommend those folks that may have those concerns, reach out to either their local county emergency managers or their local soil and water conservation districts to get that process started. Yeah, is it is it rare to see like flooding caused from fast melting snowpack? It's something we haven't seen a lot in our in our portion of the country in the last decade or so. However, really annually you do see this, you know, in different sections of the country, uh, notoriously upper Midwest, Minnesota, Wisconsin areas. Good snowpack in the wintertime. In the spring, all of a sudden you get these conditions where rivers are really ballooning up. And as, uh, as Micah mentioned, anybody that's near these rivers has to keep a heads up because it can really, really escalate quickly. These, these banks can overflow and property owners have to have uh, the knowledge to be aware of that type of situation. You talked about a little bit in the beginning of this episode, just what a 180 difference it's been comparing what happened last year to this year, Rich. Um, and I wanted to, to see if you could elaborate just a little bit more on that. Does this season and the weather patterns we've seen feel similar to any time that maybe perhaps you've experienced in your career over the last several years? Or does it feel really uniquely 2023 is a standout year for this reason? I, I've been, I, I keep an eye out for this religiously. This is pretty much what I do. I'm kind of the, I'm kind of the climate guru for the National Predictive Services Program. So I'm briefing all the other meteorologists monthly in regards to what's going on climatologically across the globe and influences obviously the United States and the various uh, uh, areas across the country. So it's something I was watching closely and was, it was kind of ready for this time. 2009 maybe rings a little bit of a bell here. It's a similar switch in late April, early. This year seems to be much more predominant and aggressive and noteworthy. And it's, it's all due to uh, obviously, the El Nino, which is the warming in the uh, eastern and central tropical Pacific Basin, which influences not just the weather in the southwest, but across the entire globe. So one thing we've noted this spring, we see these strange, unusual troughs of low pressure off the coast of the Baja and Southern California area. And they just kind of sit there and they spin for days and days and weeks and weeks. And eventually they rotate and push northeastward kind of keeps the area cooler than normal or close to near, close to average temperature wise, which we've seen now for six, six to seven weeks in a row and spurts of moisture, which are unusual for us in the driest month, which is typically May. You know, one thing to note, to note about fire season typically in the Southwest and Central and Western New Mexico, typically our large fire season peaks the last week of June. That's when the conditions are kind of worse, the worst. So around June 26th, 28th, all the way to about the 30 or so, and as, as Micah talked about a little bit ago, the flip to flooding concerns can occur quite rapidly because all of a sudden, um, historically, our monsoonal time frame typically begins in central and western New Mexico right after the 4th of July. Everyone goes to fireworks displays out there. They're like, oh, my gosh, there's thunderstorms again. Or, wow, look out for the lightning. Well, that's not unusual right around the 4th of July. So around June, uh, July 7th is when we typically start seeing the fire values start declining. And uh, then, you know, they go through the rest of July and August with a decline in our water viruses and typically is over. One thing I'll say about that, again, this year is way different. I think we're going to see 
um, conditions. We're going to have warmer and drier conditions this summer with fire conditions, uh, you know, concerns likely elevating a little bit in a normal time when we're seeing things when it's raining. So this year, again, another example of 180 degrees different than last year and 180 degrees different than normal, I suppose, too. We've had a drier climate over the past decade, at least. And, and even though there are certain risks that maybe come along with the weather, have this year's rains, though, you feel like being a welcome sight for our forest lands? I guess I'm biased on this. I like any kind of precipitation in the Southwest. It's great to see clouds and rainfall. I'm, I'm from the upper Midwest. I'm from the Chicago area. So I love precipitation and clouds and rain. It's down here. Um, I, I think in general, it's a good thing as long as it's not flooding areas or it's causing issues for homeowners and, and swollen rivers, et cetera. This particular year, Again, I, the the influence on the, the the ocean atmospheric system kind of works. It's called they, they call it a coupled ocean atmospheric system. So it kind of works hand in hand. So like the the ocean feeds off the the, the atmosphere, and the atmosphere feeds off the ocean. Kind of this unique system. So as we get a very moist spring like we've seen, it kind of deters the onset of the summer monsoon. So that's what we're seeing this year. This, the monsoonal period is going to really struggle this year to get going. There'll be is, I, I think it's going to be late and it's going to be weak. But in general, to answer your question, Chris, I think this overall people in the Southwest like precipitation as long as it's not problematic for their particular properties and, and lands. Question for you, Micah. I, I know there's been flood mitigation. There's also wildfire mitigation. Is the Forest Service still conducting controlled burn operations, for instance? And, and can you explain to us why those are so important? I know it was a hot topic last year when we talk about the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire. You know, I guess what I can say about that is that you know, the Forest Service is looking for the right time, the right burn windows when the conditions are appropriate to conduct those controlled burns um, or prescribed fire is what we call them in the Forest Service. So continuing down that trajectory, I would say yes. But again, there, there are specific windows that we look to to conduct those activities. This past winter, the, the Santa Fe National Forest did successfully complete one of the pile burns. So kind of cleaning up some of the uh, overstocked forest and that residual forest material, putting into piles and burning those. And that was completely successful. You know, the importance with prescribed fire really is, you know, it, it is one of our best tools to um, maintain and bring these forests back to a, a healthy um, kind of functioning condition. Because it just helps control the burning of the fuels that could get out of control, correct? You know, what, what it can do is is it can kind of, yes, clean up some of the excessive fuels that are you know made up of the forest duff layer, um, some of the mid-story vegetation, those sorts of things. So when potentially a wildfire does happen, we may not see the same severity across the land. Kind of tag on the mic real quick. You know, for years and years um, before the 1900s, you know, even up to 1950, you know, fire was natural in the landscape. We did not go out there and put it out every single time it got going. And that was generally a good thing. However, once we had you know, bigger populations occur and more people were moving into the, into the wild land uh, urban environment, um, it's, we started to take the standpoint where we had to put everything out. Um, that sounds great, fire bad, put it out. But in time, you know, these forest areas build up quite, quite significantly. And in the last 40, 50, 60 years, that's led obviously to some pretty good conflagrations out there. So what he's talking about with the prescribed burn uh, perspective is very vitally important, I believe, for our land use. Um, anytime, that's one thing I've been saying this spring to people, to a lot of the units out there, 
be aggressive this year. Yes, we have that the H, the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon from last year, very bad onus on us right now, but uh, we need to be aggressive. We need to, we need to do what we're supposed to do out there. Um, this is a very cool, wetter spring, early summertime frame. Uh, fire values are way down. Let's, let's take advantage of that and get out there and do some burning. So I've been talking, in fact, I've got a call in uh, four minutes with another unit in regards to burning this week. So uh, that'll be a little bit late for that, no big deal. But so that's one message I've had to all the units out there this year. And I think that that plays in a lot to the question I was going to ask you here was, you know, based on the weather we had last year, and I know we have talked a little bit about this, but I really do want to put it in a question to itself. Based on the weather that we had last year and what we've seen so far this year, you know, what metrics do you look at to predict what kind of season we'll have and what crews should be focusing on? Yeah, this is something that we've been doing now for 10, 15 years, uh, Chuck Maxwell and I at the, the Coordination Center. Everyone really wants to know what's going to be likely to occur for the fire season. Some years are really easy to, to predict. Some years are much more difficult. The last two years have been, have been easier because I had something to hang my head on where we had a, a weakening, weakening yet lingering La Nina a year ago. And this year we had an encroaching or approaching El Nino situation. So those really impact the environment differently. However, knowing that those things were on the, on the ropes were occurring really gave me an idea of what to look at. And, and I can go back historically. You know, they always say history never repeats it, but it rhymes. So I go back and I look at the rhyming. You know, what occurred in 09? What occurred in 82, 97? Some of the other years that had this type of setup, I can go back and look at atmospheric-wise where the highs and the lows set up. And it gives me idea what the pattern is going to be. And so that's what I, that's what I generally do. And when I go back and look at those years, it shows lingering coolness throughout the spring, poor monsoonal response, not a lot of heat until we get to the midsummer time frame. Um, those are some things I was able to hang my head on this spring when I was talking to people, what to expect for the 23 large fire season, not a very late start to the season and likely an unusual you know, perhaps lingering well into the summer months before we get a wetter fall and winter. So those were some things I was able to look at with some confidence this year. Other years are much more difficult. Interesting that you can just point to a date and say, you know, after July 4th, this is when we'll have an issue. Is there anything of specific interest that you all would like to share with the public, whether that be about how to protect their own properties or anything that we didn't ask? There are a number of agencies uh, working on mitigation measures across the Hermit's Calf Canyon burn scar off of Forest Service lands. They have the New Mexico Department of Homeland Security and Emergency Services, along with the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the Natural Resources Conservation Agency, and the Army Corps of Engineers are all continuing to support a number of flood mitigation measures off of Forest Service lands. You know, really the main message in my mind, though, is that there are flood mitigation measures that are occurring. Uh, but given the right amount of rain in the right place, these activities really only mitigate and they cannot truly prevent flooding altogether. So back to the message, um, if folks have concerns, I would definitely encourage them to reach out to their local county emergency managers and soil water conservation districts to get the process started to help protect their land. If anything, just as I kind of was discussing earlier, you know, every year is different. That's why we have climatologists, meteorologists, scientists, et cetera, because you can always go with the averages, but you're going to get burned frequently with that type of approach. Uh, the last two years have been prime examples of that. You know, last year, as I mentioned, very bad approaching the fire uh, as we got through the fire season in 22. 
a lot of wind that just would not relinquish and give up. Yet we had a above normal monsoon that began early. This year, way different, wetter and cooler spring. Likely a poor monsoon this year with abnormal heat and dryness in the, in the months we're used to seeing rainfall. So every year is different and that's kind of why we watch everything so closely uh, with predictive services and the Southwest Coordination Center. We appreciate the work you guys do. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to the folks at the U.S. Forest Service for taking the time to talk with us about just how important the weather is for the rural communities, especially in New Mexico. Every year, it seems like just throws us something different. You know, we always, I think, look at summer. Oh, it's going to be wildfire season or there's monsoon season. It might cause flooding. But but really, like there is no consistency. It feels like every year when it happens, exactly where it happens. Because I remember even uh, last year leading up to mid-June, we had somewhere around 60 straight days, no precipitation in Albuquerque, no measurable rainfall for quite a long time. It's been a very different story this year. For sure. Well, if you have a story idea or someone you'd like to hear interviewed on our podcast, feel free to reach out. I'm at gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. I'm at Chris McKee TV and also chris.mckee at krqe.com. Thanks for listening.